Here we go. It's hard to believe we're in February. February the 1st in the year of our Lord 2023. You're listening to Wednesday Bible Study Law and Gospel. And what we have been doing the past few weeks is taking a look at the book of Proverbs. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Solomon has wonderful advice to us because it's the advice of God. Do you want to know how God thinks? Well, the book of Proverbs is wonderful because he gives you understanding of how life really works from his point of view. We're going to be looking at Proverbs 17, verses 17 to 24. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. What is God saying here? Well, it's very clear in the book of Proverbs, there are only two kinds of people. There are the foolish ones, that is the one without wisdom, and those are unbelievers, and occasionally even believers act that way in their sin. And then there are those with the wisdom of God. They are believers. They have faith given to them by the Holy Spirit. And in that faith, they love Jesus so much because he died on the cross for their sins that they want to obey the second part of the commandments, not only loving God, but also loving your neighbor as yourself. And therefore, a friend referring to a believer in Jesus Christ loves at all times. Now, the second part, a brother is born for adversity, that can be taken literally in the sense that when you have a brother or a sister, they're also born in the family, and they're there in case you run into trouble. How many times do you see a movie where, let's say, the oldest child is followed around by the brothers and sisters below him or her, and they like to imitate what he or she does, and they're proud to have such a brother or sister because they are born for trouble. I, I remember that I was playing with my younger brother out in the alley one day, and he fell down on glass and his knee began to bleed. I helped carry him home while well, it was just across the lawn, yelled to my mother who came out and immediately took over. But had he been alone, he wasn't able to stand or walk or anything. And that was an example where a brother, myself, I was born for helping him in his trouble. We, we find that in the Bible. Uh, the two, fa uh, two people who had great faith in each other, namely da da David and Jonathan, were considered almost brothers. Jonathan, the son of Saul, protected David from Saul's vengeance because Saul was jealous that David was getting more acclaim than he was. So 
David and Jonathan are an example of those who really were brothers born for adversity. So the word brother not only can mean your actual brother or sister, it can also refer to a brother in the faith, namely a child of God. Uh, we find that also with women. A good example from the Bible is Naomi and Ruth. Naomi lost her husband, then her two sons died, but Ruth came back with her to Israel, even though she could have stayed at home with her own mother. And of course, what happened is that Ruth got married and the line to David and to Jesus continued. So Ruth was there for the trouble of Naomi. Naomi had referred to herself as bitter because of the bad things that had happened to her. But boy, when Ruth got married, you know that there was great joy on the part of Naomi, especially when they had their first child. Verse 18, one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. Now, that needs to know about the culture of that day. The actual Hebrew, one who lacks sense gives a pledge. It means they strike hands. Now, actually, I've been seeing that happening in our country since the disease was rampant. People don't shake hands. Pastors often don't stand at the back anymore and shake hands, but they take their hands and make a fist and strike the fist of the other person. Now, in Jesus' day, that was a way of giving a pledge. It was a way of making a promise. It was a way of putting up security in the presence of your neighbor for a loan. And at times, that wasn't a very good idea, that people would lack sense when they give the security in the presence of their neighbor, not knowing for sure whether the neighbor will be able to pay back the debt. So that's another point that needs to be made by God himself. Verse 19, whoever loves transgression loves strife. He who makes the door high seeks destruction. Now, what does that mean? Once more, the pastor is there to help you understand the English. The first part is pretty easy. Whoever loves transgression, which is another word for sin, loves strife. In other words, he likes squabbles. He likes to have arguments. And we have that in many people in the United States, especially young people who are in strife against the Christian message. They don't appreciate it, uh, particularly in the area of morality. And so they love sin, and therefore they love to squabble over God's word. Now, the part that says, he who makes his door high seeks destruction. It's actually he who makes his gate high 
seeks destruction. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are some people who are arrogant. They think they know everything. They're not interested in your advice. They don't want to hear from you. In other words, you do what they have to say. That occurs in marriages where the husband gets the idea that he is the head of the household in the sense that the wife is to obey him in everything. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, when the husband is considered that he's head of the household, it's talking about in the spiritual realm that if they have a baby, the husband should definitely encourage his wife that their children should be baptized, be brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But in those areas where the Bible does not give specific advice, for example, the color of the new roof that is going to be put on the house or the color of the paint or what kind of mechanisms are you going to have, like in your kitchen, an oven, a refrigerator, a freezer, these things, the wife can definitely decide also, and they should come to an agreement on. You don't listen to the husband in those areas where God's word is not made clear. Remember, in Ephesians, it says that the wife is to be subject to the husband in those spiritual matters as Christ was subject to the father. But then the husband is to be to the wife like members of the church are to Christ, namely that he is willing to die for his wife. And therefore, that doesn't make any sense if he's the boss of everything. So that needs to be made very clear. And therefore, a man who makes his door or gate high is really trying to stay away from the advice of others. He's an arrogant person, and therefore, destruction will follow, either in the marriage or at work or in the neighborhood, etc. Verse 20, a man of crooked heart does not discover good, and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. Uh, take a look at the second part of that verse. A man with a dishonest tongue can also be a man with a perverted tongue. He falls into disaster. We, we see that happening and we as children often did that. We would do something wrong and we would try and blame our brother or our sister or somebody else for the fault. This is very common in court cases where somebody is accused of a crime and they have all kinds of reasons why they should not be held accountable because they were the ones who were not responsible for it. I actually saw a man who said in a movie that he beat up his wife because he no longer loved her and he blamed her for that lack of love. No, when you decide to marry someone, you decide 
to live with them in good or bad. And therefore, it's not on the basis of your feelings towards them, but on the basis of your promise towards them. Now, the first part of the verse is very important. Namely, a man of crooked heart does not discover good. Now, what does that mean? Well, a crooked heart would be a natural heart. Remember, we Christians have received a new heart on the basis of David's prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So our heart is a straight heart walking on the paths of God's narrow road to heaven, namely trusting in Jesus Christ. Now, one of my most important passages is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 10. What eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, do you understand what that is saying? That nobody, no natural man, has seen or heard or his heart even imagined what the true God of the Holy Trinity has prepared for those who love him. Well, what did he prepare? He prepared his only begotten son to die on a cross to pay for your sins. There's no other religion in the world where from the imagination of natural man, they have anything like that at all. All religions of the world, remember, I keep telling you these two questions. Ask a person if he is saved. And regardless of his answer, then ask him why he gives that answer. And whether he says, yes, I'm saved, or I hope I'm saved, or I'm not sure I'm saved, the answer will always be on the basis of his works. He thinks he's going to heaven because of his works. He thinks he's going to hell because of his sinful works. Works are what draws, what drives natural man. And therefore, he has not even imagined what the Holy Spirit is going to tell him. These things has revealed, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And Paul explains this. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? Remember, I always say there's three things about when you're members in a congregation. You know their public stance. You may be aware of their private stance, but a lot of times you are not aware of their secret stance. Their public stance is how they behave in church, at work, in the neighborhood, and a lot of times people get a good impression of a person. Their private stance is how they behave in the household among the family. And you can talk to children and they will tell you things about mom and dad that most people are unaware of because they live with each other. 
just like the parents will know things about the children that the children want to keep away from others. But then even a pastor doesn't know that third level, the secret that people have. And those secrets may be thoughts that they have, etc. And therefore, you don't know a person until you really know their thoughts, which can come out when they confess their sins privately to the pastor. But those thoughts are different when they have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because Paul says, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And then he says in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 2, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, that would be the devil, but the Spirit who is from God, that is the Holy Spirit, for one purpose, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And the important word there is freely. I mean, there is no other religion that talks about salvation by grace through faith, except the Christian faith. All others talk about salvation by works. And then Paul goes on to verse 13. And we impart, that is, we share this understanding of God in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You see, at church, we can give a sermon talking about spiritual things that the world cannot understand, but they can become understandable to people in the church who have been baptized and have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 is so important, especially for those who think that you can actually use reason to help a person come to faith. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. For who has understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him but we have the mind of Christ. This is really important to understand that the way to bring a natural person to salvation is not by using your reason or the thoughts or the wisdom of the world. It won't work because they can't understand. It's instead to do the message that John the baptizer had and Jesus replicated, repent and so talking to them about their sins is the first step towards conversion. You're actually trying to scare them and give them fright against God because he has the power to take them to hell because of their sins. And when they get to a point where they say, how can I then be saved? 
it's then that you can tell them that salvation comes by trusting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and explaining the gospel, which talks about the crucifixion of Christ. So by uh, teaching of law and gospel, people can come to a spiritual understanding. And it's important that baptism or the reading of the scripture comes about. Because as verse 21 continues, he who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. Now remember, the word fool refers to unbelief. And so sires a fool can include both a mother or a father, and they will get themselves grief because of an unbelieving son or daughter. They will not like going to church. They will argue against the Christian religion, and many times they will leave the church. And the father of such a fool has no joy. This is in contrast to an earlier proverb that says uh, the father of one who has understanding has great joy because it says that when you are trying to reprimand, if the person you're reprimanding is a believer and has understanding, then he enjoys that reprimand because he loves to obey the will of God and is instructed in God's righteousness. But a fool who is unbeliever, not only will a reprimand not help, but according to Proverbs, a hundred blows won't get him to change his mind. And therefore the parent has no joy. Verse 22, a joyful heart is good medicine. Now that good medicine is referred to as a hapax legomena. What does that mean? It's the only time that the word appears in the Bible. And therefore, a cheerful or joyful heart is good medicine. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Now, a crushed spirit is a stricken spirit. And when you are stricken by something, you can't sleep at night, and you're in great despair. Now, that's really important to understand. Uh, I go to a hospital to visit one of my members, and maybe they're having surgery. Maybe they broke their leg or something, or they had a car accident. I don't walk into the room and I say, well, let's figure out what sin you did that God brought on you this injury, that God caused this accident to punish you. Boy, that is not a joyful heart bringing good medicine. We instead come into the room, we pray on their behalf, ask God to heal them, and then use promises from the Bible that are directly attributable to their particular illness or problem. And that is how a pastor can bring a joyful heart good medicine. And they 
will be relieved and happy when they hear the word of God. In contrast to if you crush their spirit, you bring them to despair and dry up their bones. Verse 23, the wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. Now, we see that in life a lot. The wicked, which of course would be the unbelievers, they want to hide what things they have agreed to that really helps them in their life in a sinful way. In other words, they're accepting a bribe, trying to hide what they're doing to pervert the ways of justice. This is a sinister person that comes to light, though, in time. And when that occurs, the ways of justice are perverted, and that person gets a terrible reputation because he is wicked and making deals in secret to hide what he doesn't want others to know, which does finally become public. The last verse, 24. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Now, what does that mean? The discerning is another word in Proverbs for those who understand God's word. They understand because the Holy Spirit has given them faith, and therefore they set their path on the way of wisdom, which of course is the wisdom of Jesus Christ. They're on that narrow road to heaven. But the eyes of a fool, that means the eyes of an unbeliever, are on the ends of the earth. They look to the earth to complete their desires, to fulfill their dreams, and they therefore do not recognize the greatest wonderful gift that God has given us because of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life with Jesus. That's Proverbs 17, 17 to 24. Join us on tomorrow's Law and Gospel, where we'll continue with Law and Gospel. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.